from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Oh, it's a happy day today. Today is a good day. And I'm so happy to have everyone here listening in from wherever you might be listening in from. And as testament to that fact, uh, to the fact that we have clients, so many people, listeners, clients, friends from Canada and from Japan and Australia and of course, Great Britain. But we've got one from real, real far away today. And uh, I look forward to uh, Rob introducing her in a minute. But just want to let you know, we've got Casey in the booth uh, today and we've got Rob sitting to my left. Rob, what's the good word today? Always happy to be here. And your guest today is in her late 20s. I remember those times. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my late 20s. And I think I can honestly say I was a, in some ways a very different person then. Were you? Um, oh no, I'm exactly the same now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You're more handsome now, Rob. Thank you. Yeah. You're very kind. <laughs> I have a whole lot less hair, Rob. Well, there's one thing I have up on you. Yes, one. you do. Yes, you do. You do. Well, Rob, I, I know we've got a great guest today. Um, and would you go ahead and uh, read her paragraph for us? I would be happy to. So, and your guest today is Felicia, and Felicia says, I'm turning 30 years old and catch myself going for the same kind of man continuously. As frustrating as it is, I just don't know how to stop and change my ways. What makes this worse is that you've helped me realize why I do it, but I just haven't been able to figure out a way to stop. My concern is that I'll go on like this for many years to come and possibly miss the window of opportunity to have a family with someone. I bought your book, a journal, I listen to your podcast every Thursday and Sunday religiously, but somehow I still find ways to distract myself from having to actually work through the pain. I realized this was a problem the other day when I actually felt upset that I didn't have any laundry to do. Would you mind kicking my ass on your show so I can stop spring cleaning my house daily and actually flush out my feelings and clean out my love cup? Felicia, how are you today? Hi, Sven. I'm good. How are you? I feel like a million bucks. Where are you calling us from, Felicia? Uh, I'm calling you guys from South Africa. Wow. That's a long ways away. Rob, have we ever had a guest from South Africa? I think we've set the record, Sven. This may be the ultimate Uber distance ever. So evidently all the phone lines are strung up. So we have you on the phone. It's great to have you here, Felicia. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Let's go ahead and dive in. Two things really jump out at me in what you mentioned. You said, my concern is that I'll go on like this if for many years to come and possibly miss the window of opportunity to have a family with someone. You go for the same kind of man. That's your presenting problem that you talk about. But then you say, my concern is that I'll keep choosing the wrong man. And that as a result, you know, that window of opportunity, presumably you mean 40 years old, roughly, give or take, when I can't have kids. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And if you were to um, do your best at answering one question, and that is, if you had to give up one or the other, not that you have to, but if you had to give up one or the other, having a family or having a great man as your partner, which would you choose? Wow. Um, 
I think I would probably uh, give up having a family. I think I, I wouldn't want to have a family with somebody that's not a great man. So I would choose to give that up. And what was it about answering that question that was hard? Because you were like, oh, whoa, wow. What was it that was hard about that question? Um, I think just the reality of maybe not being able to have both. Um, you know, like I'm not 100% sure that I want kids, but knowing that I have that opportunity still kind of makes me feel safe. Mm -hmm. And if I take that away completely, I kind of feel uh, a little anxious. Fair enough. And let me ask you this. Would you ever consider, and we're just playing with ideas here. None of this is actionable. You're not, I'm not pushing you to any action. We're just talking. Would you ever consider uh, freezing eggs so, or having a child on your own, perhaps, or adopting a child? Or would that not, I know it's not perhaps your ideal, but would you consider that? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've had conversations like that with my family quite a few times. They don't really understand it, um, I would say, because in my family, it's very much having a, a husband and then starting a family and then, you know, moving forward. Um, so I think it's, it's very strange for my family to even uh, entertain the thought of somebody just having a child by themselves without, um, you know, that partner. What percent of your decision making, particularly regarding men, um, having a family, having a child, what percentage of your decision making is influenced by your family? Probably about 80 percent. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, I, I always find myself considering like when I meet somebody, how would my family feel about this person? Um, and it's not always great. It's not always like, yes, they would like this person. No, they wouldn't like this person. It's not always like, yes, they would love this person. Um, but 80%, I would say, I, I always consider what my loved ones would think of the person. So it's reasonable to assume that you pretty much 80% or roughly fear their backlash or their criticisms or their questions or their you know sideways glances at you, their looks of disapproval, you fear that. Is it possible that you fear that in who you're choosing? It's possible, yes. So then is it also possible that the men you've chosen up till now, the ones that you call uh, the same kind of man, which you presumes not a good one or not optimal for you, is it reasonable to assume then that the men you're choosing are at least it's influenced by wanting to please your family? Um, I think sometimes, but I think it's like the scary thing for me is sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's the fact knowing that it's so different that it would kind of shock my family in the sense of like, I don't like being put in a box and I feel like it's being done to us as like me and my cousins and my siblings a lot. And so I'm almost seen as the one that's very different to the rest of my siblings and cousins and all that. And so it's almost like, you know, choosing the specific person might also, they might not understand. And sometimes like, that's what makes me almost, I don't want to say happy, but that almost like, you know, that's yes. a good feeling for me. Sometimes. Sure. It's, it's sort of a, forgive me, but it's a fuck you to them. It's uh it's you're, you're entrenched, becoming entrenched and saying, no, I'm going to do what I want. And I'm doing it as sort of a, you know, way to, you know, stick, poke them in the eye, so to speak. And which means that if at times you're doing it to please them and at times you're doing it to displease them, then that indicates that in your choice of men, and then that indicates it could be in other areas of your life, in your choices of men, you are still responding to an external power source in your life. You're looking at, well, what would my family say? And you said, 
it's 80%. 80%. I'm concerned about that. What would my family say? And then I'm going to do it. Or what would my family say? And then I'm going to do the opposite. And you're not hearing yourself. You're not just saying, how does it feel to me? I'm just going to set my family over here. All right. And sure, they're going to piss and moan if I bring home someone or they're going to approve if I bring home someone. It's like, I can't win unless I just choose what feels right to me. So let me ask you this. If we were to remove the family element from the equation, just set it over here. Okay. And I'm not going to just choose what they want. And I'm not just going to choose the sort of rebel path. I'm going to just go with what feels right to me. What percentage of the men that you have chosen over the last 10 years, roughly, what percentage of them are a reflection of who you really are? We're chosen from authentic Felicia. Maybe about 25, I'm just going to spitball 25% probably. And that is consistent with the 80% that you're, that you sort of fear your family's backlash, the 80% that you said earlier, that makes total sense. They're all, they have great aspects to them, all of them um, that I've dated. Like I can say something good about pretty sure. much like 90% of the, the people that I've been with, um, but yeah. Okay. And that's fair. Right. You weren't, you know, dating total crumbs, you know, I mean, there's anybody has something, but at some point you realized whether it was immediately or after three dates or, you know, six months down the line, at some point you realized this isn't really what I want. And either you, and in some cases you kept going either because your family would approve or because your family would disapprove. But this is my way of saying, ah, go to hell family. I don't care what you think. Right. When would you say is the roughly the average when you knew that a guy wasn't right for you? Of all the guys you've dated over roughly the last 10, 12 years, what was the average amount of time before you knew this person wasn't right or it didn't fit? Not that they're a bad person, it just didn't fit. Was there an average roughly? I think maybe around four months, three months, four months, maybe. Okay. When you had the realization, sometimes it was on the third date, sometimes it was six months in, or but maybe it was on average three to four months. Would you then end it? I struggled to end it myself because I, I feel like it's better for me if somebody breaks up with me. I don't know why it's why? always been that. Why? Like that. Why? I, I want because you to then I don't bullet. feel like the bad person. There you go. <laughs> I feel like... I don't feel like horrible and I can't like regret it because it's like you chose to break up with me. So you need to sit with your regrets and I will sit like I accept that you break up with me. But if I'm the one breaking up with you, then it's like, did I make the right choice? Did I make the right decision? Like, you know, then I I, I almost feel like I miss that person more than I would have if they had broken up with me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And people, we so often think, and it's true that when somebody breaks up with us, God, it really hurts, but it can hurt even more. When, to have to hurt someone we care about or to have, gosh, you miss them. Did I make a mistake? You know, fear, FOMO, fear of missing out, you know, all sorts of shit, right? Yeah. But what you're really saying though is the fear of if I do what feels right to me, I fear A, I might hurt someone else. B, I might look like the bad guy. C, I might regret it later. And so at least in your relationships, you're largely allowing an external power source, the guy, to sort of determine the trajectory of the relationship. And you'll get off the train when they get off the train, right? Very accurate, yes. Okay. And would it be reasonable to assume that in your interactions with your family, now is this, it sounds like it's a rather extended large family. Is that true or is it smaller or what? 
I'd say it's, it's bigger. It's on the bigger side, yes. Okay. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like divorce and a lot of um, remarriages and stuff like that. So I'd say we're quite extensive. Not all of us very close, but quite a big family. And uh, I come from a large family, uh, six of us siblings, and uh, then all the all the in-laws and kids and so forth. And, uh, and one of the characteristics, and you tell me if it's true or not with your family, one of the characteristics often with large families is uh, especially loud ones, um, is that everybody's got a fucking opinion. And now, is that true in your family or not true in Very your family? Accurate. Very accurate, yes. And, <laughs> and, and I've actually had a lot of clients over the years who come from large families or who have children that are growing, their own children that are coming up in those large families or nieces niece and nephews and so forth. And I've often thought, having come from a large family, but particularly thinking of my nieces and nephews and my kids, it's hard, not just in a large family, but in a, uh, any sort of opinionated family. And of course, in a large family, there are many more opinions because it's hard for the child to hear their own voice. It's hard for the child to feel permission to express their voice and not just through their words, but their actions and their life choices. But more importantly, it doesn't often feel safe to express who I am. Um, I, I dated a woman, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago, whatever, and uh, her her um, brother had a daughter and the daughter was about, oh, I don't know, 18 or 19. And she was considered, no, it was 16 or 17. She was considering getting her first job and she was considering being a waitress. And we we're all sitting around, it was uh, after Thanksgiving or something. And I said, that's great. I spent years waiting tables. It's a great living. You can always get a job. You always go home with a wad of money in your pocket. And the, you know, her father comes down her, no, don't be a waitress. You'll get stuck in that forever. It's a horrible job that the mother comes down on her. I'm like, oh shit, this kid, there's no room for her to think on her own. I mean, it's just like this onslaught of attacks. And so let me ask you, do you, have you felt in your family growing up and you've sort of already answered the question, but do you, have you felt in your uh, family growing up that in some respects, it's not safe to be who I am? that there's so many fucking opinions and so many people telling me, no, you should do this or I want you to do that. Was it more that you were allowed to just live your own life free of criticism or that there was incessant uh, criticism? I think it's the latter. Um, I think it's it was very extensive to the point where like I struggled to make decisions without getting the opinions of like my very close friends. I mean, I love them too, but it's my very close friends or my family, like my mom and my sister, for example. So I really struggle to just, I'm very indecisive because I feel like I'm worried that I might be making the wrong decision. So growing up, like I'll give you an example. When I was little, I wanted to wear like shorts with a long sleeve t-shirt. And my mom said that you never wear a long sleeve t-shirt with a shorts. Um, and like, that was something that I really wanted to do because I thought that that was such a cool style, but I was not allowed to have that style because my mom said that it doesn't look nice. Um, so I would say uh, a lot of the time that there wasn't a lot of room for me to individually grow and be accepted in, in the space of my family and my loved ones. And what's fascinating is that imprinting then happens way, way, way back here. And that then becomes the infinite loop tape that just runs and runs through the head that I have to be concerned. And, and not just that I have to be concerned about what I do and how I present and what are people gonna think, that indecisiveness, but it's a fearful thing. What's driving the indecisiveness is fear. That if I do this, well, they might do this. And if I do this, then somebody might do this. And so you become a master of overthinking. 
and you overthink and you game out every potential eventuality and you game out this one and you game out that one to see what the potential pain is at the end of it. And it's like, well, I don't know if I want to do that one. Maybe that, well, I don't know if I want to do that one. And it's just can't make a decision and so forth. I totally get what you're saying. When it comes to the idea of making your own decisions or becoming an individual more so, which obviously you're still struggling with today, you freely admit it. What is the one sentence above all else that would be the most painful for someone to say to you or to think about you? What is the one sentence above all else, one sentence or less, that would be so extraordinarily painful for someone to think about you or for someone to say to you? That I'm a horrible person, I think. That I'm not a good person. For what reason do you most fear them thinking you're a horrible person? What is the thing that you could do? I mean, apart from the obvious ones, kill somebody or, you know, I mean, dopey stuff like that. Um, What is it that you could do that you most fear them saying about why you're a horrible person? Like, I I don't consider them or I don't, I hurt their feelings. Um, Right. By making decision other than what, you know, they suggest or, um, you know, something like that. Right. Other than what they suggest and you don't consider them. Right. So you just said to me, you, the sentence you most fear in life is that someone would say you're a horrible person because you don't consider what they want and you don't consider what I suggest to you. In other words, you live in fear of not doing what I want. So you are spending your entire life or a huge percentage of it doing what everyone else wants because you're so afraid of them thinking you're a bad person. That's very accurate. (laughs) Okay. Now the money question. All right. As if that one wasn't enough. The money question is, who is the one person above all else? And yes, it's everybody. But who is the one above all else that you most fear saying it to you or it would be the hardest to deal with if they said you're a horrible person because you never consider anyone else or who is the one who is most likely to say that? I'm wrong. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm, I'm wrong. <laughs> but maybe, maybe my mom or maybe well, I consider my mom the highest. Okay. So mom um, would so wait. Mom would be most likely to say it. I think so. My mom is very, she can be very straightforward. My sister might think it, but she might not say it. Oh, wait a minute. Um, that, that, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. You, that was brilliant. What you just said, that euphemism that you threw in there. You said, um, yes, my, I asked you who would be most likely to say you're a bad person or imply that or something because you don't take other people's wants into account. And you said, it's my mom. It's my mom. She's very straightforward. Straightforward. Really? See, I would have a different word for that. Straightforward is a pretty word. Uh, uh, I would say someone who's telling your child, you, if you don't consider everyone else's wants, you're, you know, you're bad or you're a horrible person. I would call that, I'm sure your mom's a wonderful person, but you're kind of a shit mom. It's like, really? So you're encouraging your daughter to give away all of her power. And that, that, that's a different level than straightforward. That's like not as pretty as straightforward. Anyway, I had asked you who's the most likely And you said, mom, now who would it be most painful? And it can be mom again, if you want, I don't care. Who would it be most painful or the hardest to deal with inside of you if they said it or thought it? Yeah, I I would say it's my mom again. And like, it's, it's not, my mom has never like been like, because you don't consider other people, you're a horrible person. Um, I'm just scared of like disappointing her. Um, You know, she's never verbally said like, you have to consider everybody else. 
in actual fact, I think she she would be the one to say you should do what you feel is right. However, she would have an opinion on a decision that I that I make. Um, for example, if I wanted to choose to be with X kind of person, um, and it's not something that she agrees with, she would voice that opinion. However, in a d- different breath, she would say you should do what makes you happy. So there's a lot of like you know, back and forth in terms of do what makes you happy. But then when I do that, then it's almost like, uh, not, not sure that this is the person for you, for example. Interesting. We'll be right back with more Badass Counseling after a short break. I counseled with Badass Counseling for about four months and Sven completely turned my life around. He kicked my butt. No shit. He made me do homework too, but I was so ready for a change that I just did it all. I'm telling you, he changed my life. Thank you so much, Badass Counseling. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. Felicia, I love you. I love you. I just, you're so honest, you're so raw, and I love you for it. You're, you're doing great. Where we left off is that Felicia was telling us that, you know, she's getting like, would it be safe to say, Felicia, that from your mom, you get kind of a mixed message, right? It's, hey, go do what you want to do. But, and then the the behind the scenes message, the underlying message is, but if I don't, whatever I don't like about it, I'm going to kick your ass on. Is that roughly? Yeah, I would say that's accurate. I think I I would compare it to uh, the movie, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, where she does like writing And then the boss says, you can write about anything you want to. And then she gives an example of what she wants to write about. And then she's like, no, you can't write about that. Uh, That would be accurate. Right. And I tell you what, I I actually see this a lot Uh, in a lot of child rearing and a lot of parenting. I get clients come to me and they say, you know, Sven, um, you know, I had one client many, many years ago say to me, yeah, Sven, um, my old man said to me, I could do anything I want as long as it was in finance, law or medicine. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Pop. (laughs) I guess my life is your life. And so that's kind of where we are with you. That in a way, yes, sure, you can say it's my life, mom, but it's not. I'm going to have to eat your shit with whatever decision I make. There'll always fucking be something. So in a way, it's not even, do I like this guy or not like this guy? It's what's mom going to think? Yes, it's the family. Yes, it's your friends. But really, when a push comes to shove, it sounds like the most powerful person in your life even at age 30, is your mom. Is that safe to say? Yes, very safe to say. What would be the price of finally beginning to more and more live your life your way? Um, I think maybe the people in my life not really understanding. I think that would be the price I would pay, like being misunderstood by the people that I love. Um, Or if I were to choose something that that might not be accepted so if I was to start making decisions for me, by me, without considering other people, I might not get accepted by the people that I love in my life. That's right. And so I opened this whole thing by asking you, if you could have a family or have a great man, which would you choose? If you could only have one, you said, you know, great man. And now I'm going to ask you a similar question. If you could be happy or have your family approve of you, which would you choose? Oh, long pause. Oh, we hit it, didn't we? Come on now, Felicia. This is it. Like, I, don't, I want to be happy and I want that peace in my heart. 
like of like because it's very noisy I overthink everything so it's very noisy in my head all the time but at the same time like I don't want to be alone in life like that scares me of course it does so losing losing my family losing my friends like I'm almost like I would probably realistically at this point I would choose to have my family um, however, I would like to get to the point where I would choose happiness, but I'm not there. I'm, I'm at the point where I would rather be with my family. Well, no, and I get that. You say you're not there. No, and it is a process. Let me ask you this. Which of your friends, and you don't have to give their exact name if you don't want to, but do you have any of your friends or any of your family members who would support you if you chose to just be yourself? Whatever that might mean. Do you have anybody that you know, it's like, no, I know, you know, Susie would, she'd be on my side or whatever it might be. Do you know that you have certain people? Yeah, I, I have two best friends. We've been best friends for about 15 years. And those are the two people that I know, like, would accept me no matter what. So you wouldn't be alone? No. And what is it about being alone that you fear so much? Is it knowing that other people are mad at me? Or is it that I'm, I don't have people around me pouring love into my love cup? Or is it when I'm alone, I think bad, all those bad thoughts about myself churn up in my head like I'm a whore. See, I'm a horrible person. They don't approve of me. What is it you fear the most about being alone? I would say it's a combination of all three of those things. That's that, right. Like on the nail, that's all three of those. That's right. And, and so what needs to happen is the, the truth is the people that really love us in life are the ones that love us when we're being ourselves. I love you so much, just be you. Those That's real love. But the people who say, you gotta be who I want you to be, it's not love, that's conditional. It's like, I just want you to be who I want you to be. It's like, no, everybody gets one life to live. They don't get to live my life too, right? And the truth is what we discover, the more we have the courage to become authentic, to be our real selves is that three things happen. The more we have the courage to be, say, do, and become on the outside who I really am on the inside. And in order to find the real self on the inside, you have to get out all the fears and the pain and the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself. But the more you put out there, even if it's just bit by bit, the more you be, say, do, and become who you really are, three things happen. One, you start to lose people. Whether A, they, because they walk away from you or they fight you and contest you and then throw up their hands and walk away or because you walk away from them. You start to lose people. You don't lose everyone, but you lose some people you might, might've thought would have been with you forever, a brother, a family member, a friend, whatever. Start to lose a job. I, I never wanted that job to begin with. We walk away, start something new. We start to lose people, but then the second thing happens. And the, the first part is the scary part. That's why so many people just stay stuck in, I'll be whoever you want me to be, all right? The second thing that happens is we start to effortlessly attract people. It's no lie. I see this. If I've seen it once, I've seen it a million times. And that is that people just get drawn. We're drawn naturally in life to people who are authentic. There's something enchanting about that. People who are real. You begin to effortlessly attract people who love, who say, I love who you are. Or who say, I love who you're becoming. Or who say, if you went back to being who you always were, I wouldn't be the least bit interested. I love. Or they'll say, I love that you don't even know yet who you are. I love that you have the courage to become. The third thing that happens, and so many people, when they first start working with me, they say, oh, Sven, that third thing is bullshit. You know, I read that in your book, that's bullshit. And then they work with me and then it's like, then I'll get a call or I'll get an email. Holy shit, Sven, you were right. And the third thing is shit starts to fall out of the sky. 
shit you weren't even thinking about, stuff that you weren't even thinking about in certain areas you weren't even working on in your life, magic starts to happen. I don't know why it happens. I don't know how it happens. I don't even care. I just know that it happens. That the more we become authentic and put our authentic self out there, the tumblers align in the universe and shit starts to fall out of the sky. Good shit. And so I guess when I, where I want to uh, go with this with you is ultimately you finding that happiness depends upon you being willing to let go of the people who only want you for what they want you to be. And it'll only come from you being able to hear those criticisms and be okay with it. Okay. Because the truth is, let's say it's your Uncle Billy or Tom or Jim. Tomorrow, Uncle Jim, you'll have a different opinion about my cousin Tom. Or tomorrow, Uncle Jim, you'll have an opinion about the weather. Or what. It's just another fucking opinion. It's just like, I don't care. And to get you to that point where you begin to become your authentic self more and where the criticisms of mom and Uncle Jim or cousin Sally where those don't hit you as hard and eventually where they don't even matter and eventually where they stop criticizing, eventually they do stop. What will get you there is you first addressing the fears inside. The fears inside, because that's what's keeping you locked in. The fear that if I be me, they won't like me. And then all those voices, those messages that you were taught about yourself from when you were a child, all those will come up and start tumbling around in your head. And one of those that we've identified is the fear of people not liking you, people thinking you're a bad person because you're not considerate. And the truth is, the truth is, you've been uber considerate, always considering other people's happiness, and it's making you fucking miserable inside. And you've got a 30-year pattern of behavior on the part of your mother, on the part of your Uncle Jim, on the part of Cousin Susie, whatever, you got a 30-year pattern of behavior that this is just how these people are going to act. You keep waiting for their approval. You keep waiting for their acceptance. You keep waiting for them to shut the fuck up and just let me be me, right? Right. Let me ask you, what is your, if you were to be totally honest and you've been great so far, what is your level of, if you were to be totally honest, your level of sadness in life inside of you? What? Is it 20%? Is it 63%? What are we talking about? I think it's quite high, but I do think it fluctuates. Of course it fluctuates. Then it can go up to like 80% as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then other times I feel great and I feel like I get these moments where I feel so at peace, but it's like a split second and then it's right back. And I keep trying to go back to that. And so it's like a back and forth, back and forth. So I would say... On the, day, on the times that I'm really sad, I would say that can go up to like 80% where I don't feel loved or appreciated or, you know, like considered myself because I feel like I'm very considerate towards other people. But then sometimes I feel like people aren't considerate towards me. Um, no matter how much you like, do, no matter how much you do, they're still not considerate towards you. And how do you explain okay. that? I can't. I don't know. That's right. I, I struggle to understand. And I think that's what upsets me is the fact that I don't understand. That's right. And and this is the problem. And you've heard it. You, I know you've said that you have watched a lot of my videos and read my book and so on and so forth. This is you know where I talk about extreme givers or in the chapter on selfishness where I draw that the line and there's a totally selfless person over here and totally selfish person over here. And a person who's totally selfless, that extreme giver, if they do even one little thing that moves a little bit on the continuum, uh, you know, toward in the other direction, do one little thing for themselves, 
Everybody's like, oh my God, they attack you. Oh, you're so selfish. Well, how come you don't consider other people? But you've only moved a teeny tiny bit. You're not even halfway. And the truth is a normal life is one where we're, there's constant movement from very selfish to very selfless to is in the middle. And over time, it's just, it's this constant movement. But you're so terrified of that criticism of being told that you're so inconsiderate. You're so terrified of that that you just, I'm just going to do what everyone else wants. Now, let me ask you, does that bring a little bit of um, tears as you think about that? Yeah. A little bit of sadness? It does. What's the saddest part? I think the saddest part is that like internal conflict that not everybody is aware of. That makes me sad because it's like on the one hand, I really do want to be who I am, which I'm not 100% sure yet who that is. But then on the other side, like it's so exhausting that I just kind of just want to like, do whatever, like, you know, other people want me to to do or to be. Right. Um, or maybe it's not even what they think, or maybe that's not even what they want me to be. I just, like, think that that's what they want me to be. I, I'm not even sure, but right. in the lines of that, yeah. Yeah, and, and so your brain is forever going. You're even creating, like you just said, yeah. creating opinions that they may not even have. Oh, they must be thinking this. and So, so you're living your, your life constantly in fear. And so when you say, I don't even know who I am, of course you don't, because you're so tuned in to everyone else's needs, wants, feelings, opinions, and their opinion may not even be about what you're, uh, what you've chosen. But they just burnt their toast this morning, and they're feeling pissy, so they'll just say something random. That uh, a week later they may be like, "Well, I don't really think that. I was just having a bad day." And yet we spend our lives consumed with, "How do I make everyone happy?" And you're right. I like what you said earlier. That you can't understand. I'm giving so much to other people. So considerate. Why aren't they considerate back? And the simple fact of the matter is this. That until I require people to treat me well, to take my needs into consideration, they're just going to keep taking. Not because they're bad people, usually, but because I'm letting them. And in my own life, I was that way. In a couple of marriages, especially my first one, I just give and give and give and give and give. And you go through enough relationships, and it can be family relationships too, where you're not getting it back or you're not getting what you want. Then eventually you say, well, fuck this. I'm going to stand up for myself. And because the pain of not getting it back gets so bad, it's like, I'm going to change. I have to start making decisions differently. And, the, and that's a form of loving yourself. It's basically saying, I matter. Damn it, I matter. And so for you, I see myself in you. Who I used to be It's just like, at some point, I have to matter enough that I'm even willing to endure the criticisms or whatever, that I can't just keep giving it away. And what happens then when I require others, it's like, you don't get to be in my life or I'm going to push you back a few steps. If you don't treat me better, all of a sudden what happens is people start living up to that standard and you start attracting people who are happy to give you what you want because it's reasonable, who are happy to take your feelings in consideration because it's reasonable. And that's what a good relationship is. But right now, the bottom, and I'm not, I'm not trying to scold you or blame the victim, but when I was how you are, it was because I was allowing people to just take and take and take. And I so believe that if I didn't give them more, and if I didn't give them everything or give them more and more and more, they wouldn't like me. We attract people who like us when we have the courage to like ourselves and insist on our standards. So that means in the dating, you, can, you see it earlier, 
and you catch it earlier and you call it out earlier. Because otherwise you're just lying. You're lying to yourself, you're lying to the person. So if we bring it back to the dating, it's like, this doesn't feel right to me. And having the courage, because you already know you don't wanna be there. So you know, whether it's at three months or at six months, you know this relationship is gonna end at some point. It's just like, so I'm really, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm kicking, I'm, I'm protracting the pain. I, it's gonna come later. Plus I'm gonna have to go through the misery of, I know this isn't the right person for me. And what that is, is that it's you having the courage to listen to and act on your own voice. But we're going to come right back to that. We'll be right back with more Badass Counseling right after this. Okay. Well, you've, you've heard the podcast. You've listened to other people's issues. Maybe you've studied hundreds of Sven's TikTok videos. Time to stop lurking. Face your fears. And focus directly on the one person in your life who can benefit the most from Sven's experience and insight. Now, that would be you. Just go to badasscounseling.com and order Sven's book. There's a hole in my love cup. Or check out his many video courses. Sven found a way to help himself out of a 12 years depression. It worked for him. And it can work for you too. Check out badasscounseling.com today. Back with more to kick your ass. Here's Sven. We are back. We are back with Felicia. Felicia, you've been very open and very honest and you've been, uh, you know, we've had some tears and, and you talk about, you know, the fears and so forth. Let me ask you right now. So as we've been talking today, what fear or thought or feeling has sort of been welling up inside of you or have you been sort of thinking, what are you thinking now uh, at this point in our conversation? Um, I think a lot about my dad. Um, and I'm trying to make sense of how that kind of fits into what we've discussed about me, like wanting to, um, you know, be liked by people and be worried about, um, you know, people not accepting me or people not liking me. Um, so yeah. And how does your dad fit in? What, sum it up in one sentence. How does your dad fit in? Is he likely to be, uh, critical as well? If you become your authentic self or supportive or why does the dad question come into the equation now? Because, that's why I'm a bit confused. I don't really understand. Um, my dad is probably one of the people that would not judge me, that would accept me in any situation. If I ever did anything, he would be there. However, when I was young, he was not a great person. Like he went through his own struggles in terms of, you know, bad decisions in life. And so he wasn't there for me when I grew up. And we only started having a relationship later on in our life. So it's almost like what I'm thinking right now is that I only like that all of this almost stems from him, which makes me really sad as well. Um, because it's almost like it came from him. Um, I'm trying to like make sense of it as well, but it's like when I was younger, he made bad decisions and therefore he couldn't be in my life. So he couldn't just change himself or fix himself to be in my life. And so many, many years later, when he came into my life and he wanted to be in my life, he had already found a different family. So it's almost like I was not good enough when I was young. You left me um, and you were making bad decisions knowing that you wouldn't be in my life, knowing that like you wouldn't love me enough to change your ways, but then you find other people and you change your ways for them. So that's kind of like almost you know, the, the, the thinking that I'm having right now in terms of he lived and so I don't want anybody else to leave. And it's almost like, you know, because that was so bad for me that I'm trying to not cause anybody else to leave. I oh, guess. that makes total sense. And, and, uh, one thing, 
it wasn't your fault that your father left. It probably had nothing to do with you. But I get your point on, um, I wasn't motivation enough for him to change. And obviously your mother wasn't motivation enough for him to change. And your sister or brother, they weren't motivation enough. And that it was his shit that he was going through. and But it deals a death blow sort of to the child because it sends that underlying message, I don't matter, I'm not important, right? Yeah. And that's what's operating here is that underlying message that even though he didn't say it, his actions conveyed it very powerfully, I'm insignificant. And so what's the role, how does that play into right now then? I mean, I understand it plays the huge role because that's the message that I'm not important, that my voice isn't important. I'm not important enough to listen to my own voice or even for myself to do it. Okay, so we got that. In terms of your relationship with him now, is it that you have no desire to have a relationship with him? Is it that you're um, still angry at him, which you would be justified in being? Or or what's the role of him in your life now? And maybe it's no role. What is it? I think we, we have a good relationship. Um... I, he doesn't know me very well, I'll be honest. He doesn't know the names of my best friends. And, you know, he doesn't always know when I do have a partner. So I, I'm very selective in terms of what I share with him. Not that I don't trust him. It's just we don't have that relationship where I'm daddy's girl and I share everything with him. And, you know, we see each other often. We don't live very close to each other. Um, but I do know that he is there for me if I do need him. It's just we don't have the best relationship that I would have wanted if, you know, if I could have chosen. Would have wanted. And so let me ask you, what do you want right now? What's the relationship you want with your father right now? Not that you ever have to act on it, but I, I just want to know what it is. If you could have it your way, what is the relationship you want with your father right now today? I would say like the normal society dad and daughter relationship. Like I don't like conforming to society, but I do like the the idea of having my dad and having him supporting me, which he does, but also being involved in my life and being like knowing who my friends are. And like, if something happened, like arguments sake, if I had like, uh, you know, if I had a birthday party coming up and somebody was surprising me, like my dad would be able to assist not with a lot of things because he doesn't know a lot about what's going on in my life, you know? So I think I would want to have a real relationship with him. And the main reason that you guys haven't had a real relationship with him um, in like in your adult years is because he hasn't wanted it. You haven't wanted it. Nobody's really put it out there or you're, it's all yeah. sort of left over from what it was. Yeah. I think we just haven't really put it out there. I think, you know, as the years go by, that's the relationship that you have. Um, and so to try and change that now is, is very weird to a lot of people it is in my weird. life in terms of like, it is, yeah, weird. Like, it is. And the, but the bottom line is it's what you want. And so at the, and, and the scary part is if you were to ever go to him, what if he said, no, I don't want that, then you'd be rejected again, right? So it's safer to never put that out there. But on the other hand, if you don't ever put out there what you want in life, whether it's with your father or with your family or with your lovers, you're never going to be fucking happy. At some point you have to be okay, accepting that I'm, I'll be okay. Even if this thing happens where someone leaves me again, in the end, I'll be Okay. But you are very much convinced, and I understand why, you're very much convinced that if this bad thing happens, I won't be okay. And that is the fundamental life question. That is the difference between living a life of fear and living a life of trust. That we have these aspirations for what we want. 
I want a relationship with dad, or I want to have this great relationship with man, or I want to have a family, or I want my family to treat me better. Whatever these, these visions, or I want this career, I want to go after this. We have these visions for what we want for our life. But then the fears kick in and we go tick, 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 tick. And we go off, you know, 60 degrees in a different direction. Or we go tick, 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 tick. And we go 180 degrees in the opposite direction where we're just doing what everybody else wants. And the fear ultimately always boils down to that if the fear happens, if this thing happens, I won't be okay. Versus trust. Trust is that even if that happens, I'll be okay. I've made it 30 years. I'm alive. You know, yes, it hurts and I'll grieve. But I think maybe as I experience some of those disappointments more, that I'll, I'll be okay with it. I'll just flush it out and I'll be okay. But in, that's the choice. The choice of life ultimately is the choice of fear versus trust. Fear, I'm going to choose the fears or I'm going to trust that even if those fears happen, I'll be okay. Very dear friend of mine has stage four cancer right now and uh, is probably doesn't have long to live. And one of the metamorphoses that she has gone through is to come to the realization that in a way it's been a blessing. I've gotten closer to my daughters and my son. I have gotten closer to life. I mean, I'm tasting life in a way I never did before, Sven. Stage four cancer, she's going to die. And she's like, you know, it's gonna be okay. I know my kids are gonna be okay. I know my wife, she's gay. I know my wife is gonna be okay. And so I, to me, it's like, wow. If even somebody can be at death's door and be like, it'll be okay. It's courage, and but it's also just trust. It's trust. And at some point, that's what you're being challenged with. Ultimately, Felicia, what you are being challenged with is fear versus trust, and you have been living a life of fear. And at some point, you have a decision to make because right now, all those other voices own you. You don't own you. They own you. Every last voice of any random person owns you. You're constantly gaming out. Well, will they like me? Will they leave me? Will they disapprove, et cetera, et cetera. And the more powerful voices, such as mom and family or whoever, men, the more powerful voices you give more weight to. And so you give even more of yourself over to them. But at some point you have to choose, or you don't, <laughs> but trust versus fear. And fear and happiness are inversely correlated. The more fear you have, the less happiness you're going to have. The more happiness, there's just less and less fear. There's always going to be some fears, but it's way different from when it's max fears. And so you said in what you sent into us, I basically avoid your book. <laughs> I've read it, but I don't want to do the work or whatever. And I'm going to send you back into that. And I there are a couple of chapters in particular that I want you to read. The Power of the Third Path and the bit on selfishness and uh, the bit on the three binary gates. That's a pivotal chapter. But at some point, you're going to have to decide, realize, I'm never going to get that approval that I've been wanting, that total freedom without criticism that I've wanted. I'm never going to get it from mom. You have a 30-year pattern of behavior. But also, dad left me when I was young, and I'm afraid I'm going to get left again. There are people who are going to leave you. There are. There are going to be men who break up with you. There are going to be, you know, maybe a family member walks away from you. It's part of life. It's part of life. And the more you can flush out your feelings and your fears on that, just keep flushing and flushing, recognizing that you can't make any more dirty laundry, 
There's no more housework to do. I, I'm going to do the work and start flushing out the pain, the fears, and the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself. The more and more you get that out, the less and less you'll be afraid. The more and more you'll live from your center. Felicia, you have been an amazing guest. I want to ask you one last question. It's simply this. If you were to be totally honest, it can be good, bad, left, right, up, down. What are you, what's going on inside of you right now? Be totally honest. Sure. I think more sadness than I thought. Um, but also I feel a little bit hopeful that um, you've said that you you can see a bit of yourself in me because I know that you've done the work. And so it's it makes me hopeful to know that I can get to that point as well. So um, willingness is what I feel as well, just to like really go into the book and just do the work and just get all of that out. That's right. And it's the sadness. And there's one other thing, Felicia, and it's you're, you're a very, very, very sweet person. I can tell that. And that you, and there's anger down there too. Now you don't ever have to express one drop of the anger or the sadness to the people you love, but it's in there. And the more you open that vault, because the truth is since you were five or seven or nine, you've been stuffing your authentic feelings into that cigar box, into that vault. And seven-year-old Felicia has brought that cigar box and that vault to you and said, I've been carrying this my whole life. Our feelings, it wasn't safe for me to be real back then and to express my feelings. And your seven-year-old self is bringing it to you saying, please open it. You're bigger than I am. You're stronger than I am. Please, for us, please, please open it and let it out. And now if you don't, now it's you victimizing that seven-year-old you. Now it's you saying to seven-year-old you, you don't matter. Your feelings don't matter. You are the one person who has the power to liberate your feelings and liberate seven-year-old self and to validate her and say, you matter. You are good. You're a wonderful girl. And I mean it so much, I'm going to let the feelings out so that you can be free. Because you now have the power that little seven-year-old Felicia didn't have. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. All right. Thank you. You, you are so welcome, Felicia. It's been such a treat. You've been so open and you're such a kind soul. But I do hope you'll do that inner work of getting the sadness out, getting the anger out. And as a friend of mine said, uh, a friend of mine said recently, you know, Sven, you talk about getting that anger out. And I did it and I let it out. And it was like a year or two where I really let it out. But then it was gone. Another friend said, it took me like a, six months, Sven. And then it was gone. And then my love was more real. Everything was more real. So again, your relationships with the other people don't have to change. But to open that box, to give that gift to seven-year-old Felicia is the best gift you can ever give. So thank you again, Felicia. And I think you're wonderful. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. And to everyone else listening from South Africa to France to Canada to Chicago and across the world, thank you so much for tuning in. On behalf of Casey and Rob, thank you for joining the Badass Counseling Show and have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.